So here we are, James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, just coming close now to the end of our series. We actually finished it up sometime in July as we've been working our way through the book of James, just passage by passage. And here we are, we're coming to a place where it really begins his conclusion uh, of his letter. So let me read the verses and then we'll, we'll just jump right into them. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, consider those, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. As a, as a kid, if you ever went anywhere on a long trip, maybe you can remember asking your parents, are we there yet? And, and as the trip goes on, are we there yet? Are we there yet? If you've been a parent... On a trip, even if you've not been a parent, if you've been with kids on a long trip, you've probably heard that question more than you'd like to have heard that question. I, this, I, sorry, this is in my mind. I'm just going to say it. There's a, a clip from a, a Simpsons that is rolling around in my head. They were on a road trip, and it was, are we there yet? 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 And finally, Homer turns around to choke him out, and Marge says, we're here. And so, anyway, um, it's... But, but, but it's funny because as I was thinking about this question, are we there yet? I've even heard this from adults on trips into our villages in, in uh, West Africa. When we head into West Africa, one village in particular, we go till the road ends and then we go a little bit further and that's where the village is at. And, and for, even from adults, are we there yet? It's a hard, difficult trip. You've been beat up by, uh, well... Bad roads, difficult circumstances, just living in small spaces for 24 hours as we leave here in Springfield. It takes us about 48 hours to get to that farthest village. So it's a long, difficult road. And it's been more than once I've heard the question, are we there yet? There's a lesson in this about, about the life we live here. If we think about it, there's a lesson to be, that we need to recognize that, that pertains to kind of what we're talking about today. The journey that we're on is not intended to be as good or as enjoyable as the destination that we're headed to. God has not intended this to be as great as it will be when we are with him. God doesn't want us to enjoy this world more than we would enjoy heaven. That is not his goal. It's not to say that he doesn't have things that are enjoyable. It's not to say that all of life is only miserable. But we get it wrong when we try to get all we can out of life now. When we try to have our best life now, as our uh, culture would seem to think is the right way to live, as we seek to have all that life seemingly offers now, we get it wrong. We miss the point. The journey is here to prepare us to be at the destination, to make us ready to be where we're headed, not to replace it. It's not to be the destination. So yeah, you might get a chance to smell some roses along the way. But we live in a place that is 
filled with junkyards. And sometimes they smell a whole lot stronger than the roses that we can smell. In case you're wondering the answer to the question, are we there yet, according to James, the answer is no, we're not. He's like your dad sitting in the front seat of the car on that long road trip. We're not there yet. But when we get there, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. So Christian, this I think is James' point, Christian, determine in your heart today. Determine in your heart today to endure patiently together until all the Lord has purposed has been fulfilled. Endure patiently together until all the Lord has purpose has been fulfilled. Last week we studied from James and we, we saw him actually turn to non-Christians. He, take, he takes this little bit of time, this little paragraph, and he turns to non-Christians and he begins to speak to the wicked wealthy and tell them that, that one day their, their wealth is going to be worthless and it's actually going to condemn them. It's going to be the very reason that they end up condemned. And so we know that Clearly, not everyone's headed on a path. Not everyone is heading in a direction that leads to someplace glorious. The truth is, the principle that might be presented there is is that you don't have to be wickedly wealthy for that to apply to you. So I'm just going to say this right out the front so that I can preface the rest of the words to Christians as my intent is and as James' words are. If you're here today, if you're visiting, if you've come in, just happened to stumble through our door and you're, you're here to listen today and you're trying to figure out where your place is, let me just encourage you this. If you want these promises that are made to believers to be yours, then turn from what this world has to offer and trust in Jesus Christ as the only hope you have for heaven. He is the only way. There is no other option. There is no other plan. Jesus Christ alone offers salvation. And so let me encourage you, in light of the fact that we know he's coming, his return is at hand, the judge is at the door, let me encourage you today to determine in your heart to trust him and him alone. But for the Christian... James turns his attention directly to you in this passage. He, did, he, he focuses right in on us as brothers and sisters in Christ and recognizing that we're anticipating the return of the Lord. And he calls us to be patient. In fact, that's what this whole passage, that's what these, these four verses are really all about. The, the, the idea is to be patient, to endure patiently but he's he's not just asking us to to be willing to wait like well i think sometimes when we think of patience we just think of well okay then i'll 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 wait till tomorrow you know we think about just waiting and that's not what he's getting at the the words he's using are 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 not about just simply sitting and waiting he is calling us to an abiding willingness to endure to persevere to 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 Come what may, I'm going to be committed to this path to to set my face, to determine in my heart, to, to, to decide right now that this is the direction I'm going and nothing can change that. I am going to persevere. I am going to endure no matter how long it takes or no matter how far it is to get there. 
Four times in verses 7 through 10, James uses the Greek word that speaks to most often, most often speaks to long-suffering, to dealing with something in a long slow process. It it speaks to being slow to anger. When we react to people, being slow in our anger. It it speaks most often in in the scriptures as our dealings, in our dealings with people. The word's macrothumio. I don't know if you care to know that or not, but it, it is. The idea is that as we deal with people, we suffer long with them. We're slow to anger with them. We don't react seeking vengeance with them. We endure alongside them. Two times in verse 11, James uses the word that speaks more to our patient enduring in difficult circumstances. The dealing long with, with, uh, or the the dealing with and, and enduring and persevering in things that are difficult. Circumstances and situations that are hard to deal with, that are painful, that are that are filled with sorrow. The word is hupomone. I might have said that wrong. Hupomino. Sorry. Put the wrong sound in the wrong place. That probably meant something else. Hopefully it wasn't a, a bad hopefully it wasn't a bad word. <clears throat> the idea though is it, it's it, we still see it translated in the scripture as patience, but it's dealing less with how we interact personally and, and horizontally to, to how we deal in our circumstances in life. Now, this, every, every rule has an exception, right? We know in grammar you learn it growing up. It doesn't always break out this way. It just seems to be that this is the way these two words break out. One is personal or interpersonal, and one is circumstantial. And he's calling us to this abiding with difficulty. In fact, the idea of endurance implies difficulty. You don't have to endure a walk from here to the back of the room. Right? Like, that's not endurance. From, from here to 26 miles from here, that's endurance. Like, that takes perseverance to run a marathon. But we don't endure easy things. We endure difficult things. There's, there's an idea that there's a load laid upon us. That, that, in a sense, we're carrying this burden upon us. One time, in verse 8, James calls Christian brothers and sisters to establish their hearts. The word he uses there is steriso. And, and it's the same word that Luke uses of Jesus. When, when, let me just read the verse to you. I don't have it on the screen. Just listen. Just let me read it to you. When the day draws near for him, or when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face. He sterizo. He set his face to Jerusalem. So when he knew it was time for coming close to time for him to be crucified and, and to raise and then ascend, when he knew the time was coming close, he determined in his heart, he committed his way to end up in the place where God intended him to be so that God's purposes could be fulfilled. So the idea, you put this all together, James isn't providing teaching about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Certainly he says he's coming. Certainly, he says we should be ready, but what his focus is, his focus is on the hard attitudes of Christians until the Lord returns and finishes the work that he began. So Christian, in light of this, determine today to endure patiently together until all the Lord has purposed has been fulfilled. Endure patiently because Jesus is coming soon. 
And Jesus isn't just the destination. Like, that, that's the idea. Like, we, we, are, we are moving towards, we are looking towards, anticipating and expecting and longing for Jesus' return. That is the destination. But it's not just the destination. It's also the primary reason that James gives us for, for enduring difficulties now, in this life here. He illustrates this with, by pointing us to the farmer. He says to look at the farmer. Look at it in verse, in verse 7 and 8. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the, 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 rain, the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Be like the farmer. Now, this isn't a landowner who has a bunch of people who work for him, and he sits back and kicks it in his office in a nice fluffy chair while he's waiting for people to bring him the fruits of their work. This, 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 this word, this idea is, this is the small time farmer. This is the guy who's out there actually digging his hands in the dirt, who goes home sweaty at the end of the day, who smells like the earth he's digging in. This is that small time guy who's in the field every day doing whatever he can to ensure that his crops produce fruit. And two things that it seems James is highlighting here. First, I would point you at dependence. Look at the farmer. You know, expecting, uh, uh, needing, dependent upon the early and the late rain. Now, he can go out and plant. He can go out and pull weeds. He can fight off bugs and critters. And, and, and he can uh, stand out there and watch it happen every day. But, but there's something he can't do. He can't make the sun shine or the rain fall. He is absolutely, utterly dependent upon God to act. So James wants us to see his dependence. He's out of control. He, he has to depend on the one who is. The second thing I think that James would have us pay attention to is this patience or this, this sense of waiting. No matter how hard he tries, no matter how hard he works, no matter how good he is and how diligent he is in his efforts, he can't guarantee the crop nor does he get to determine when it comes. He has no idea whether or not it actually bears fruit. And he won't know that for sure until it begins to happen. And he won't get to enjoy any of it until it is finished. And he is, there's no way that he speeds up that day. There's no way that he gets to, to enjoy the harvest a moment sooner than the harvest actually comes in. He must endure it patiently <clears throat> dealing every day with what the world would throw at him seeking to keep his crops from producing fruit fruit instead of producing thorns and thistles he must deal with whatever comes as i think about our work in senegal one of the one of the major crops in the villages that we work in is peanuts and i don't know if you've ever seen a peanut farm i think their peanut farms are a little different than our peanut farms but you really don't see a whole lot on top of the ground. I mean, there's leaves and stuff on top of the ground, but when they go out to harvest, they're doing a lot of digging, and, and, and they're bent over backwards, and there's, a, there's typically little kids who will stay out at the peanut uh, in the fields from all, all day and all night uh, keeping the warthogs away because the warthogs want the peanuts as much as the people want the peanuts. And so their job is to keep them from ruining the crop. Because not only do they come in and dig them up, but they trample all over everything. They ruin stuff. So a friend of mine from, from there in this particular village actually was so proud of one of his kills because he protected his family's peanut fields that he gave me the, the tusks off of this warthog. And so he, he was, it was an honor. It was a way for him to show me this, this honor. It was a really cool thing. But the reality is 
It, every day was work for them. Every day was difficult for them. And yet, they looked forward to the day that they would get to enjoy sitting around cracking those peanuts and eating on them. In fact, they use them in all kinds of stuff. And James calls us to be like those farmers, to patiently endure the difficult days, to deal with what comes, to, to endure what, what comes depending on the one who brings the rain and makes the sun shine, to depend on, knowing, depend on him knowing that when the time is right, the harvest will come in. In this case, the harvest is Jesus coming back. He calls us to set our face towards this moment, to look toward this moment and not live for what's now, but to live for what's then, to determine in our hearts that that's where we're headed, to not let anything take our attention away, to not let anything distract us from that point or that purpose. And I told you this a, a, a few, few, couple of weeks ago as we were dealing with the idea of Jesus' return. And, and I told you, that realistically, he could come back before I finish this sermon. I don't think there's a person in this room who would be bothered by that. Like, I think we'd all be really excited about it. I don't, I don't care how much work I did this week to put this together. I just soon him come and, and, and let us see his face before I finish. That would be so much better. His, he, he is coming soon. It is in any moment. So, so don't get distracted. Don't look away. Don't, don't get... Don't get distracted with, with running around and trying to build your kingdom here. Don't get distracted by trying to, to, trying to store up wealth here. Don't get distracted by the difficulties that you face here. Endure patiently looking for the moment. Because it could be any moment. Instead of making charts, laying up plans and determining when it gets close, that that's when I'll, that's when I'll get ready. That's when I'll be prepared. That's when I'll do what I need to do. Live ready today. Endure patiently today. See, in fact, I would suggest that another thing that James would have us learn from this, par- this farmer enduring patiently is that, that actually what we're enduring is actually preparing us to, f- to, to more fully enjoy what's to come. T- tell me he doesn't enjoy the fruit that he's been working to bring up out of the ground. The, the, the guy who's raising bananas and, and pear trees and apple trees and the, the guy who's planted corn. And, I don't know, maybe you like green beans. But all those things, how exciting it is. You put your hand to the, to, to the plow, you begin the work, and you see the fruit of the work, and then you can get to enjoy the fruit of the work. See, I think James wants us to realize that, that this enduring patiently isn't just about us sitting back and enduring and just having to moan and groan the whole time we're here. I, I think he wants us to realize that this is preparing us to enjoy more fully what is to come. And yeah, I think you can see that with the farmer illustration, but I think you can see that in the context of his letter. Listen to James 1, 2 through 4, which is very similar in his introduction to these words in his conclusion 
Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The difficulties you face today are preparing you to live in eternity. The difficulties that you face today are enabling you and making you ready to be steadfast. And as that steadfastness develops in you, as that, that ability to endure, that, that, that endurance, that perseverance develops in you, and you grow stronger and stronger and stronger, there comes a day when you are complete and perfect and lacking nothing. You're standing in the presence of God and you are rejoicing because what you were is not what you are. Because what you have left behind is so much smaller, so much dimmer, so much less glorious than standing in the presence of your Creator. See, it's preparing you for that moment. The difficulties of this life must be endured. They are what prepare us for what is to come. They are what prepare us for for what what will be after Jesus' return. Paul, writing to this end, to the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, says, So we do not lose heart. This is verses, chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Do you see the trouble? See the difficulty? See the, the death that's happening? Our outer self is wasting away, but our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I know these things don't feel light and momentary when you're in the middle of them. But in contrast to what's to come, they're nothing more than a wisp of smoke. These light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The troubles of this life prepare us to live in the life to come. Now, I think normally when we, when we face hardship, I think normally we, our, our, our gut reaction, our, our default uh, reaction to that is that we try to escape it, try to find our way out of it, try to look for some other thing to do. Like, I, I, I got to get back to easy street. I got to find my way back to comfort. I got to find my way back to wealth. But that's, that's not what James wants for us. So this time, he, 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 he shows us, in, in this time, he says, this is preparing you. So rather than seeking to escape it, endure it patiently. Endure it patiently because... The Lord is coming soon. Could happen at any time. Before I say my next word, before you eat your lunch, before you lay your head down on the bed, this just might be the last generation that lives. I don't know that it is. I'm not a, a doomsdayer. I'm not a prepper. That's not, that's not who I am. But this might just be the last generation that lives on the face of the earth before Jesus returns. So endure patiently. Endure patiently because justice will be fulfilled. In in verse 9, James turns from seeing the call to being patient because the Lord is coming. In verse 9, he turns and he begins to speak to how, he begins to talk about how we speak to each other. He begins to address our words towards one another. This isn't the first time James has dealt with words. If you've been with us through the the series, you, you know that, wow, 
What are you guys doing up there? Maybe Jesus is coming back. James has been dealing with our, he's dealt with our words a number of times already. He's already told us that that, that our words can be destructive or our words can be beneficial. And he, he commands, he doesn't just suggest, but he commands Christians should use their words to benefit one another, to build one another up. That they can do so much good. That they matter. And here he says, in the midst of this, in the, in the reality of the fact that, that we have to endure patiently, he encourages us to not grumble against one another. This time he, di- he, he ties our words together with the reality of a coming judgment. Jesus is coming to bring justice. And what's interesting about this passage is that this passage isn't pointed at people outside of Christ. It's not, people, it's not pointed at people that we would tend to think, oh, well, Jesus is coming to judge them. It's pointed at Christians, directly at us. Peter Davids, in his commentary, uh, speaking to this passage, it's the New International Greek Testament, something, NIGTC is what I remember it by, but he, he, he wrote a very helpful commentary on the book of James. He writes these words. He says, The nearness of the eschatological day, that's the, the end day when Jesus returns, the nearness of the eschatological day is not just an impetus to look forward to the judgment of sinners and so stand fast in faith oneself, but it is also a warning to examine one's behavior so that when one of those foot, or the, so that when the one whose footsteps are nearly finally knocks at the door one may be prepared to open for open one must either for blessing or for judgment the coming lord is also the judge of the christian see the point i think we need to take from this and i think we need to remember is that everyone everyone will be judged. Everyone will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Just because we are Christian doesn't mean that we don't face, face a judgment. What it means is that in Christ, we don't have to fear the judgment. The faith that has produced good works in you will demonstrate those works to be real good works, and they will stand, not because of who you are, not because of what you've done, but because you have trusted in the Lord. Your faith will justify you, as we studied in James chapter 2. But more than that, your faith will justify you because it's placed in the Son who paid and purchased your right to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be blessed when He died on the cross in your place and for your sins. See, James wants us to remind us, he wants to remind us that we can't use our position in Christ as an excuse to act just however we want. I'm not doing that. I don't think. Maybe I am. He wants us to, he wants us to remember that, that, that we, we can't just run around using grace as a, as a reason to sin, that we can't just run around doing whatever we want to do, that we can't just be giving our life to living any old way we please and doing, doing what our heart desires rather than what we've been commanded to do in Christ. James wants us to remember that, that the judge is coming to judge. And in that judgment, he will purify his church. See, the reality is that he knows better than we who actually belong here. 
And I think James' words, professing and, and reminding us not to grumble against one another because the judge is at the doors to remind us to live in light of his coming, to live in the way that honors him before he comes so that when he comes, our works are cohesive, are, are, uh, are in line with the, the profession of our faith so that we are practicing the faith we profess so that when the judge comes, he sees us acting in a way that's honorable. Enduring patiently together, listen, it, it's easier than enduring patiently individually. So James understands this. He knows this about our difficult circumstances. He knows that, that, that we weren't created to be alone. He knows how desperately we need one another. And so he says, first and foremost, endure, in, in, endure patiently, knowing that are not judging, or not grumbling, I'm sorry, not grumbling against one another, so that when you live together, you live together in united ways, in, in unified ways, in ways that are honorable and helpful to one another, so that your words benefit one another rather than tear one another down. But if you can't live this way, you should be asking yourself, why can I not live this way? Why is it that I don't like anybody that claims to be a Christian? Why is it that it bothers me so bad for Christians to act like Christians? Why? See, I, I think the reality is that the problem is not the Christian. I think the problem is the person that grumbles all the time against the Christian. So he's concerned for you. He wants you to live obediently in Christ. No matter how difficult it might get. No matter what anyone might say. No matter what you might lose. Endure patiently. Because justice is coming. In fact, the justice that you long for when you've been bullied and beaten up and ridiculed and you felt loss. The justice that will meet that injustice is coming. So hang on. You don't have to get revenge. You don't have to make things equal. You don't have to make people pay. So quit grumbling against one another because the judge is coming. Endure patiently, knowing that justice will be fulfilled. So we endure patiently because Jesus is coming soon. We endure patiently because justice will be fulfilled. And I think we endure patiently because joy will swallow up our sorrow. Remember the prophets. He points to them in verse 10. He says, remember the prophets. Look at the prophets. They are an example of suffering and patience. They were rejected, ignored, often killed by the very people they were sent to serve. They were sent to speak on behalf of God. They were sent to tell them the things of God so that they could have and enjoy the promises and, and, and be, be looking forward to the coming work and the coming king. They, they were called over and over to repentance, to leave the things of the world so that they could walk in, in, in the beauty and the, and the blessing of their covenant with their God. And the people that they were sent to often beat them and, and even killed them. Obedience to God doesn't, it doesn't automatically give you a 
a comfortable life. That's why we have to endure patiently. So I think sometimes we think, if I obey God enough, if I do all the right things, in fact, there's a whole line of thought and a prosperity gospel out there that would teach us if you believe enough and do the enough right things that, that you, you can't have your best life now. That's a lie. Straight out of hell, that's a lie. The example and the, and the picture we see in Scripture over and over and over is the fact that if you follow Christ, if you live obediently to Him, you will be the you will be the punching bag of many people. You will face, you will feel the weight of that. You will feel rejection. You will feel burden. You will feel loss. You will experience difficulty. James says, remember the prophets. Endure patiently like they endured patiently. If we're ever going to follow this example, we're going to have to shift our thinking. We're going to have to shift our view of what success is and what failure is. We're going to have to reorient our value system around what the Lord values instead of what the world values. In the opening phrases of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives some pretty shocking statements that illustrate this well. Let me just read them to you. The verses will be on the screens. Matthew 5, 3 through 11. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now, there's so much. I mean, people have written books about those verses. There's so much to deal with in those verses. I want to just illustrate one picture from them, one thing from them that, that, that I think helps make the point that James is making. I don't think any of us set out to be poor in spirit. I don't think any of us set out to be the people who mourn. I don't think any of us set out to be or value being hungry and thirsty in any way let alone righteousness. I don't think any of us set out in and of ourselves to be merciful. And naturally, I don't think any of us are peacemakers. But Jesus says those are the ones who have much to look forward to. I I think that naturally, if given ourselves to the way the world works, we would want to be the one on top who's not suffering in any way so that right now I can have what makes me feel good, what makes me feel comfortable. Jesus says that it's apart from those things, those circumstances that you find his mercy. And so, so if we're going to be like these prophets, we're going to have to recognize and value what the Lord values, not what the world values. See, the Lord values your humility before Him. The Lord values your meekness and mercy towards others. Your Lord values peacemakers who stand in the gap and seek to reconcile brothers and sisters in Christ. The Lord values those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The Lord values the one who mourns.
I'm not asking you. In fact, I, I, I feel like I need to say this. It's pressing on my head right now. It's being impressed upon my mind right now. I, I need to, you don't have to go out and make trouble for yourself just to say that you have trouble. Every day has enough trouble of its own. You don't need to go making up trouble. But when we have been called to live in a certain way and live for, for a certain purpose and give ourselves to the mission that God has extended before us, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that he's commanded, knowing that he's with us every day until then. We give our lives to that. It will seemingly come at a cost. You might get unfriended off of Facebook for crying out loud. Your neighbor might not want to talk to you. You might even lose family members who don't want to have anything to do with you. But James is calling us to endure patiently like the prophets, knowing that that's where the blessing is. In fact, that's what he says. He says, behold, we call them blessed who have stood steadfastly, that have endured patiently. We, we call them blessed because that's where the blessing is. Enduring patiently as the prophets, that's, that's, that, 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 that requires a whole new set of values. But, but when we have those values, it gives us this picture, that gives us understanding that what we lose here in this life, what we might have to feel the cost of today, is nothing in contrast to what is to come. There's so much that could be said here. But we need to move on. Paul, writing to the Philippian church, has reminded them this, for it has been granted to you. It's been gifted to you. For the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. You know, who, who values, who considers the difficulties we face as a result of living the life God has called us to live? Who considers those gifts? Who, who's, who's turned their mind to see those things as so valuable that they would endure them patiently instead of run from them seeking the easy, comfortable life? It takes a whole reorientation of our value system to understand these are gifts to you. He is gracing you with the ability and the opportunity to, to, to suffer for the sake of Christ. We, we tend to think that following Jesus is going to make our life easy. And it actually doesn't. That's why we must endure patiently today. Everything that the world has to throw at us, everything that we could possibly lose, everything that they might do to us purposefully, what they would mean for evil, God means for your good. I was recently introduced to a video in which John Piper was talking about this very idea as it pertains to Joseph and his brothers. If you know the story, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Later in life, they're reunited in Egypt and and uh, his dad ends up dying. They think they're going to be, he's going to, Joseph, the brothers think that Joseph, Joseph is going to be very angry with him. And Joseph responds in this way. In fact, let me just let the video do the talking. You wicked brothers of mine meant it for evil. Meant it, meant it, 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 evil, meant it, meant it. God, same word, Meant it, 
go home now. Now, if that doesn't stick in your head, the very next thing that comes to you, the very next difficulty that comes to you, the world may mean for evil. Your friends, or actually, they well, we wouldn't say they're your friends. Those who stand against you may mean it for evil. But God has meant it for good. He has granted to you the opportunity to suffer for Christ's sake. We endure patiently because we know that one day, as we have endured in steadfastness, if we have endured patiently, our joy, what's to come, will swallow up what we have endured, what we have had to count as sorrow in this life. And then James, he's not done with this point. And James, he, he says, now look at Job. Job was steadfast. Now, if you know the story of Job, if you've read the whole story, it doesn't seem like he's super steadfast. I mean, he does pretty good in the early days. But then he starts being addressed by his friends. And, well, again, I don't know that I'd call them friends, but they're, they're sitting down to give him counsel and telling him how, how, how horrible a person he might be. That's a, a very broad stroke. And, uh, but, but realistically, you must just be a horrible person. God must be really angry with you. What have you done? And Job, he questions why, he grumbles a lot, even acts very self-righteously at times, to the point that when God confronts him, he has no choice but to repent. But what Job never did was give up up on his faith that the God who created him is the God who gave and the God who takes away. See, what Job never did was give up on his faith in God. He endured to the end. And if you know the end of Job's story, you know that when God restored all that he had lost, he restored more. He gave him more. And I think that's the point that James is trying to make here. It's not that he's going to give us more wealth or, or, or more children or, or, or some physical blessing. That's not, that's not the point that jo, James is making, but he's, he's trying to get us to see that when God finishes his work, when God finishes what he started, we'll be able to better understand how everything we have endured patiently gives way to the glorious joy that we will, enjoy, that, that we will have that will swallow up all the sorrow that we have endured. What you endure today pales in comparison to what you will enjoy when Jesus returns. That's the story that we learn from Job. We see this sovereign, glorious God providentially bringing difficulty and pain and sorrow to Job's life. So that in the end, Job repents before him and enjoys his blessing upon him. So Christian, determine in your heart today to patiently, together, not separate, not grumbling against one another, but together, endure patiently until all that the Lord has purposed has been fulfilled. Let me leave you with just this little story from John Newton. He's the author of the great hymn, Amazing Grace. He once wrote this. Suppose a man was going to New York to take possession of a large estate and his carriage should break down a mile before he got to the city, which obliged him to walk walk the rest of the way. What a fool we should think him if we saw him wringing his hands and blubbering out all the remaining mile. My carriage is broken. My carriage is broken. Your life It's a broken down carriage. (laughs) But the promise of God is that you have a large estate that's ahead of you. There is no sense today 
in weeping and mourning over this carriage, but instead endure it patiently till you get to the estate. The Lord is coming, and it is soon. Are we there yet? No. No, we're not there yet. But we can endure it patiently knowing that when we get there, when he gets here, it's going to be worth it. So let's pray.